0: Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. Gentlemen, how are you this morning? Doing great, Eric. How are you? Doing very well, Eric. Oh, I'm doing great. I, I appreciate the fact that you've given me the honor of introducing our guest today. You guys ready? Yes, absolutely. All right. So here's a, a just a brief bio. This is amazing how much this gentleman has accomplished in his lifetime, but I'm going to start with a, a little bit and let you guys dive into it. So it's Jeff Savlov. And Jeff is a consultant to enterprising families and is the founding principal of Blum and Savlov LLP, Family Business and Wealth Consulting. Jeff's specialty is working with families who want their wealth to serve current and future generations in healthy and productive ways. He engages families at the intersection of family dynamics and ownership, management and leadership of shared assets. Jeff speaks in the U.S. and internationally and has been quoted in the New York Times, Family Business Magazine, and authors a popular blog the Family Business Minute. He worked in his family's commercial printing business before a career in sales and marketing, and then returned to graduate work in family and group dynamics. Jeff is also a family therapist, child play therapist, and certified psychoanalyst. Holy cow, Jeff. Welcome to the show, brother.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
3: (laughs) Oh, no problem. We're excited. uh, We always bring the best in. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely these guys are the best at
1: bringing on the best guests guys i know there's a lot more to jeff and his entire bio and i'm just going to let you guys flush that all out during the podcast
4: great well jeff thanks again for being on the show today this is uh one that i think my dad and i have been looking forward to for a while
2: yeah me too thanks for having me
4: the first kind of to start off because we were talking a little bit earlier when we we're getting ready for this podcast and the title of this being Raising Children in the Context of Family Financial Success, you used financial success in a very specific way as opposed to what many people would use the term wealth in that title. So, when we were talking, you had a very specific reason why you included financial success. So, to start off and lay that foundation, why do you use financial success as opposed to wealth?
2: It's a good question. Uh, the truth is that when you use the term wealth, a lot of people look to behind them to see who you're talking to. Everybody thinks it's somebody else. Whoever has, you know, a little bit more, even at, at levels that the average person would say that person's extremely wealthy, it's somebody else. So a lot of times, people who have had financial success somehow feel more comfortable with that term. When you say wealthy, they're not sure who exactly you're talking to. So it's just a sort of a workaround because wealthy tricky and people. I just tend to think I'm just a regular person who's had some success and the wealthy guy is somebody else.
4: Yeah, I, I think from from our experience that it's it's funny you mention that it is all relative, right? I think that you have somebody that has a certain amount of zeros in their net worth. They look at somebody that has maybe another zero and <laughs> that's I think that's a big the, difference, yeah. the, the true net or a true wealthy person. But I, 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 a lot of sense. So, uh the, Jeff, talk a little bit about your background because as Eric alluded to in the in the bio, you started in your family's uh printing business, and now you are a psychoanalyst and a family counselor. So. It briefly explain to the audience sort of how you got to where you are from where you came from.
2: Uh, absolutely. Although I want to back up for a second because I sort of did miss one, one point about the wealth financial success thing. You can be wealthy without any money at all. And that's a an important piece of what I do. I have worked with uh, extremely some of the poorest families in this country in America. When I used to work with the homeless and I did some real hardcore work out of out of grad school with the homeless, and I met people who were wealthy and homeless and had no money, and then there's people who are financially wealthy. So aside from what I already said, I think it's an important distinction. Uh, you know, Using the term financial success means we're talking about the money part of success as well as others. Uh, wealth can apply to even people who don't have a lot of money.
3: So yeah, that's an excellent point. Just...
2: I'm sorry. Your next question was a little bit about my background, was it?
4: Yeah, it's just one, one's in a little bit about how you got to where you are today, counseling families coming from yeah, your yeah. family so, business.
2: So, um, you know, family business, commercial printing with my dad, my mom. Neither of my sisters stepped foot in the building in New York City where we had it, and the truth was, it was tough. And with my my dad. There are two things we said we tried once and we're not going to do again one is him being my boss the other is him being a coach of one of my sports teams we tried both those <laughs> things and uh, it just our relationship is better when we're not in, in that kind of position you guys as a father-son team are awesome and and certainly um it's wonderful to see fathers and sons make that work but for us it just wasn't there and honestly i didn't really like commercial printing so there was no real drama i left i went my own way I went into sales and marketing and consumer products and technology, so I had that family business experience. I saw how that worked uh, for better and for worse. And then I went into the regular world, and I saw that. And something about the family, family dynamics. Um, we went as a family to a family therapist while we were issues, my dad and I, around the the working together. And the therapist brought in my mom and my sisters, and a lot of different stuff came up that was incredibly fulfilling and rewarding. I don't know. Some people here, you know, go into family therapy and they roll their eyes and they or they get scared and they think it's a nightmare. For us, this was a really positive thing that really changed family relationships for the rest of our our lives. I just always appreciated that experience. So when I was in the the not only business world there, I, I was just had this itching to get back to that. So I went back to grad school and that's where I studied family and group dynamics, and I wasn't sure exactly where it was going to go. And I did the psychoanalytic training and I started a private practice. And this is 25 years ago. And I really thought that was where I was going to end, was doing sort of therapy, family therapy. And again, 25 years ago, and it was really a coincidence that some families that had businesses or had significant wealth without even a business, they came to me for therapy, but I got to know them in a really deep way. And what was super interesting and striking to me was how the emotion of the family, the relationships of the family, the dynamics of the family had effects on operating businesses, had effects on wealth that they were looking to include the next generation in, and they were looking to transition that wealth to the next generation. And so the family piece affected the business and wealth piece, and having a business, having wealth involving the next generation had effects on the family dynamics in a way that was super intense and complex. And I felt like there was something out there that was needed that was not a shrink or a therapist, but it was also different from what you guys do, what a lawyer or an accountant might do. That was sort of in the middle of money and business and and wealth and and family dynamics. And that's where I started to move into consulting to these families. So what I'm doing as a consultant isn't acting as a therapist, but it's sort of in that middle ground where all this stuff comes together and it's. Just super interesting and complex.
3: Yeah, we, we find that that's a bridge that every family has to cross. They just don't know how to get started. So we we see a a stoppage with family communication on a lot of fronts where they're afraid to ask questions, they're afraid to talk about issues because they don't want to offend somebody or they don't you know they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So they back off, and it goes on and it goes on, and all of a sudden something happens dramatically. To your point, that's a very very interesting history you have to kind of, you learn from uh, having that, you know, those sessions with, with your parents and your siblings, I'm, I'm assuming, and you, you get rewards from that. So that I'm assuming that's what motivates you every day.
2: Absolutely. It's super rewarding because I, I've seen the ugliness of what can happen when there's not communication, planning and transparency, transparency, you know, as children become developmentally able to understand and it's appropriate. Uh, But I've seen the ugliness that can come, and when people start early, it's really amazing. And one thing I left out of my experience when I was doing my clinical training, I was trained to work with kids as young as three years old in play therapy. This is, again, in the therapy world 25 years ago. And what really struck me then, which I've carried into this sort of current consulting to the financial success, is that children are way more capable of understanding complex ideas than adults give them credit for. And they're much bull and smart. And so I saw that working with three year olds who had cancer or had a parent die in a horrible accident and really working with these little ones to understand the world around them. And so now when I work with, you know, maybe couples who have a more wealth than they ever imagined, maybe grew up poor, had education, became successful, and have tens of millions of dollars when they grew up, you know, poor in another country, they're like, what do I do? How do I do this without harming my kids, often the instinct is don't say anything until they're 30. A good good recent story, I was kind of brought in by a grandfather to talk to his daughter. The father's talking to his daughter, his daughter's husband, and there's a -a two-and-a-half-year-old that they had. And I'm talking to the grandfather, the daughter, and her husband. And the grandfather really wanted me to just chat with them about some of the opportunities in raising a child who is you know, already technically wealthy, the way the trusts are set up. This child is going to be very wealthy when they turn 18 or 21 or however it's set up. It's definitely coming. And the mom said, you know, what can we possibly do with a two and a half year old? Our plan is basically hold on tight, you know, kind of ride the bumps, set hard limits when we get to a, you know, nightmare situation and hope for the best. And I was like, wow, that's really kind of stark and, and scary. And we got into a conversation about, you know, what kind of chores does your two and a half year old do? Do you set limits around, you know, cleaning up after themselves? Do you have a pet, which is always a great thing in this context. And they're like, what does a pet have to do with her inheriting money? And I said, does she does she like the pet? She loves the pet. Does she take care of it? Or do you and nannies and babysitters take care of it? They said she loves the pet, but she doesn't really take care of it. I said, well, that's how you develop a steward, a responsible, then be responsible. And the truth is a, a poor kid, a working class kid should be responsible for taking care of the dog because that's in their best interest. A lot of what I talk about is just as true for poor families and working class families as it is for wealthy families. But the poor families don't have the safety net. And when you have a lot of financial wealth, there's a safety net that can actually cause harm by making life too easy. So I explained to the mom and her husband in front of the grandfather, you know, her father that making the kid walk the dog, brush the dog. You know clean the water bowl put the food in the bowl these are all little ways that you tell your daughter the world's not just being handed to you you need to work for it and then the mother who said initially you know what in the world are we going to do to a two and a half year old that's going to help them be a responsible steward by the end of an hour she said you know what y- you sold me you're absolutely right i feel like an idiot for how i sort of framed this whole thing at the beginning there's a lot we should be doing that'll make a real impact on the kind of character she has and rather than waiting until she has some horrible situation in her teens or twenties.
4: Yeah, I mean that was going to be one question that I asked you, Jeff. Was how how early do you start having these conversations? If you are a family that has this financial success, and you, you sort of alluded to the difference maybe between uh, a child growing up with that financial success versus a child that isn't. And you mentioned when you said two and a half, that was startling to me um, to hear that, but. Is there a sort of maybe, I guess, tasks or things that families can look to maybe if they're raising children of that age that they can instill those values or that work ethic early on?
2: Honestly, if you think two and a half is young, I've worked with couples in these multi-generational families of financial success before they have children, couples before they're married or when they're married and before they have kids, because that's really the best place to start. If you want to know the, how, I, how young you can start, it's before the kids even exist. And that's getting the parents to think about what what does money mean to you? Does it mean the same thing to each of you? How does material wealth you know, fit into each of your lives? If they have similar values, it's easier. If they have different values, there's a conversation to be had before the kids come along so that they can present a united front. You know, I do exercises with these folks before they have kids and even when kids are younger and honestly with teenagers and kids in their 20s. But I I stand by it. The earlier, the better. And the exercises I do are around just life values. And I have a list of values and definitions, you know, education, community service, family, exercise and health. And there's about 30 of them to find. And I say, you know, pick. They can all be important. Pick your top five and tell me how you're living by these values And tell me how you're falling short and let's take a look at how you're falling short and integrate things into your life so you can better live by them because your kids are going to learn from you if you tell your kids to be nice to others and you're not being nice to others give back to others who are less fortunate but you're only writing a check that your kid doesn't see and you're not volunteering at the suit where your kid can see that the kids aren't going to pick it up so you have to be really clear about what's important to you are you living your life that way can your kids see it and then how do you how do you bring in behaviors that the kids can be involved in? You can tell, you know, four and five-year-olds that there are people in the world that don't have enough food to eat, and our family wants to help them. And you can show them dropping off food at a soup kitchen or a food bank, and you can really connect the values to something that a very young child can be part of and, and understand.
4: Yeah, that's all really interesting information. That If you're out there listening, I hope that sort of struck a chord with you because, it is important to to start early. I imagine you maybe have some roadblocks trying to perhaps I don't want to say convince a family of how important that is, but how do you how do you bridge that gap if you have a family isn't really ready or, or doesn't think it's it's as important? I mean, what what's at stake to a family if they don't do this right? Yeah,
2: well, bridging the gap, I think that's on you guys because you see the guys that need it and don't want to go for it. What do you see out there with, with families who could use some more open communication or maybe they're raising their kids in a way that you think they're set, you know, they're on the path for disaster, spoiling their kids. Um, do you find they're receptive to conversation or do you find it's sort of a hands-off topic? I'm interested.
3: Yeah, every frame we work with is a little different, but I, I, I think it was James Hughes' books. He had a chapter, it was called Safe Space. I, I can't remember if it was him or another author. But the concept was this. You pick a, a room in your house when your kids are very young, three, four, five years old, pick a room in the house, and it was referred to as Safe Space. So when they did something wrong, you would bring them into that safe space, and the promise you made your child that you let them, you wouldn't, um, punish him, and you'd only love him or her. And they have to explain to you why they hit their sister or what they did was wrong and, and you would just counsel them and correct them not to do it again. And, and the whole idea, of the concept, which I fell in love with, is that it teaches your kids not to be afraid to talk to their parents. And I've been fortunate with my three little darlings. Michael's one of them, but my kids always had a good, good open communication with me. So I never not had that. But we see families often that don't have that communication, at, even at young ages or even older ages, and it's a challenge. And I think I think it's a interesting focus that that has to be put on families to really pay attention to that. Yeah, I would I would add to
4: specifically to to your question, Jeff. I think. I would say pretty much every one of our families is concerned about the things that, that you brought up and, and the need to uh, raise children in, in this, this environment. And I always go back to Jim Grubman's book, Strangers in Paradise, where he talks about a lot of families becoming immigrants to wealth or financial success and the, and the challenges that come along with that. I, I think all of our families are very concerned about that, but I think a lot of times they don't know where to start they don't know let's say what to reveal to the kids and when i know that we've had a lot of conversations (laughs) about you know well if i tell my children how much we're worth or how much the business is worth that they're going to take that and basically not apply themselves they're going to sit around and wait for an inheritance they're not going to maybe go through the same or have the same work ethic that i did as an example creating the business so those are kind of themes that we think about now i'm interested to hear your thoughts about that because i know you know, sometimes not communicating to your children about how much your, your net worth is. They're going to find out eventually. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. That's kind of our thought. And, and with technology these days, they certainly know that they're probably more well off than a lot of their friends like you say, kids are smart they figure that out so we're always very um, forthcoming and encouraging them to to communicate maybe not everything up front but to start that conversation
3: yeah i, I always laugh I, I tell a joke when i talk to families when they express their concerns about those issues i say guys they, they really know how rich you are you have four cars you have four houses you got a boat you have a base they, they know you're wealthy get over it it's now that start teaching them how to re- be responsible for the wealth that's involved with the family so it's an interesting starting point but i, I know that they they always need coaches, and I think that's your role and part of your program.
2: And earlier the better, you know. It, it, which we all know. Once someone is you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. The science is clear that sort of personality and character, for the most part, is solidified. The opportunity is when they're really young. And most of the work that happens then is not about numbers. It's not about financial statements. But it is about things like telling stories to young kids about how fortunate the family is and how hard it was to get to a situation where we can have a nice house and nice cars and a nice boat and talk about grandpa or great-grandma or whoever it was that started the business or mom or dad, but to talk about it in a way that even a little kid can understand. They can understand working really hard. They can understand we didn't have enough money for the business, so we had to borrow money, you know, from a bank or from other people. And we had to pay that money back with extra. And so we had to work super hard. And when things didn't go well right away, it was really scary. And so we had to live in a, in a really old apartment and our cars were very old and it was scary. Our best way to get through it was to be smart, and we did all the right things in school, fortunately, and we stuck with it, and we kept working hard, and it took a long time, longer than, you know, you've been alive. You know, you're four years old, you're five years old. It took us seven or eight years just working hard and living in an old apartment with a, you know, an old car, that kind of thing, before we got there. And so you can tell the story so the kid understands all the things that you have came from somewhere It came from people taking risks working hard going through scary times where you weren't sure how much money there was going to be and you had to pay people back you know three four five-year-olds especially four and five-year-olds without a doubt i mean five-year-olds are in kindergarten today kindergartners are doing really cool stuff they're brilliant so you can explain to kids at their level without even getting into the the money piece you can talk to young kids about You know, what are wants and what are needs, right? Well, needs are things that will die if we don't have. Kids can understand we need water, we need food, we need air to breathe or we'll die. Yeah, those are all needs, food and water. And what are wants? And even young kids understand without their toys, without their bicycle, they can still live. They might like these things. And so you can have a conversation about the difference between wants and needs and when people work really hard. And a, and a business is successful, they make more money and sometimes people have just enough money to get the things that they need. Sometimes people have a little bit extra money above and beyond what they need and some people have a real giant extra pile of money beyond what they need and you can say to a four or five six year old for sure, what do you think happens when people have a lot more money they need, And I've heard, I've been in family meetings where they didn't think the seven or eight-year-old should be involved because it was way above their head. I said, listen, this is what I'm about. Please invite the seven or eight-year-old or six-year-old. And and consistently, these kids say some of the most brilliant things, doing this wants and needs kind of, you know, uh, exercise. I had an eight-year-old or seven-year-old that the family didn't think should be there. And he said, I think friendship, friends should be on the need list. And all the adults, 21-year-olds, 40, 45, 50-year-olds were like, no, 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 you could live without friends. And he made the case that friends are so important that life wouldn't be good and it's really not living. And it was like tearful. People were moved that this kid who they almost didn't invite was making such a great case. And they all agreed, absolutely. Friends goes on the knees list. They are a super important part of, of what you need to have a good life. And it was just so moving to see a kid that young. And it's not unusual. And that's what I learned in my clinical work years ago. Three, four-year-olds, two-year-olds, they have some brilliant things to add. And sometimes as we get older, we lose that kind of wisdom. And it's wonderful. And parents can really tap into that in the context of financial success or even, you know, a lot of what I say is true for working-class parents, poor parents. It's having these conversations. Again, it's just that, that safety net often leads parents to try and make life easy on their kids because of how hard they work to get where they are and a parent's job isn't to make life easy on their kids it really isn't a parent's job is to make life the right combination of hard and easy of challenging and simple right you want kids to have failures and successes all successes you don't learn anything you don't get any real self-esteem and all failures you give up the parent's job is to make life the right amount of challenging. And that's that's a big factor when there's enough money to make life super easy.
3: Yeah, we talked to some of the, uh, the adults in the room. I bring up, you got to start with a beginner's mind. And the challenge I, I have with them is they have to get, let go of all their prejudices, all their bad things that happen in their lives and all the negatives. And it's hard to clean that up before you have a future dialogue on change so i i challenge if you know i compare it to a five-year-old when you're five and you look at the world you don't have any bad senses of the world you're you're running your bike for the first time you're you have those friends you just talked about you have all these positive things happening around you and and sometimes we get clogged with our history and so the, the starting point for us is try to clear that up or clean that up a little bit and move them forward to open their minds up to new ideas and new concepts yeah
4: absolutely totally agree you mentioned a little earlier on, you mentioned it with a younger child, but I, I'm always interested to hear stories that you may have or thoughts you may have on finding that balance that you mentioned between challenges and failures and successes. And often having, let's most of the time, at least with our families, there's usually the generation one, the wealth creators or the financial success creators, I should say, are uh, the business owners and they've sold their business and they're struggling with how again, they can make that financial success be a positive for their children. We're going to talk a little bit on our next episode, uh, uh, more specifically in a family business context. But I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on how the first generation can approach managing the second generation's desires or expectations. How do you advise families on that second generation maybe charting their own path or going down the same path as generation one?
2: Yeah, no, it's all about expectations and holding them to... To a high standard if the if the second generation grew up and saw a lot of the struggle because this is interesting the difference between the second generation watching mom and dad have really hard times and struggle and saw the small house and the old cars and then saw the houses and cars get bigger while the business got bigger and got to know the non-family employees often are like family. And so when you have second generation kids who've witnessed all that and saw for 10, 15, 20 years, non-family workers who were committed and were like part of the family, it's this really sort of warm, fuzzy, awesome, motivating thing that's just loaded with values around hard work and where this stuff comes from and how to appreciate people who help the family get where they've gotten. When the second generation hasn't seen any of that, you really have to build you have to build that in you want kids who are not spoiled this is going to sound brilliant don't spoil them make them work make them pay for things i use this example with my own kids because it was one that really i think paid off you know being a parent isn't about being your kid's friend it doesn't mean you have to torture your kids or be mean to them and there aren't you know as a lot of zeros after my net worth, like the clients that I work with. My wife and I I'd say our upper middle class is probably accurate, but there's there's still danger there with raising kids, and it's very comfortable. And we made our kids save money from birthdays and bar mitzvahs and whatever along the way. And we talked about saving and spending and all of that. And when it came time for, you know, iPhones, just as an example, they wanted their smartphones. We made them pay, you know, four, five, six hundred bucks, whatever they were, with their own money. And we made them pay us 30 bucks a month for data plan. I mean, they were like none of their kids, none of their friends' parents were doing anything like that. And that's okay. This is how the world works. You don't just get things without working for them. You can also give the message that things just show up without having to work for them at all by giving kids things without them having to work for them. So especially for the kids that didn't see all the, the effort that went into wherever the wealth and money came from, it's so important to tie expectations and, and character building into just daily life whether it's a two and a half year old having to care for the dog or you know watering plants is something that a two or three year old loves and the truth is the younger you go the more thrilled kids are to do this stuff and it has such a positive effect you can let a kid finish their dinner and just go off into the play area while the parents or nannies or whoever cleans the table and puts it in the dishwasher I'll tell you, man, there is no two-year-old around that doesn't like putting a few dishes in a dishwasher and pressing the start button. So this stuff doesn't have to be like torture. You can actually have a lot of fun picking weeds together, painting a deck, staining a deck. I mean, kids love doing what their parents are doing. So this stuff, the earlier you go, the more fun it is and the easier it is to instill it. Wait till they're 16? Try getting a 16-year-old who never had to pull weeds or stain a deck or wash a car. you know. Try getting them to do something. It's usually pretty tough. Start when a kid is two, three years old. Washing a car is actually a lot of fun on a hot day. The younger you go, the easier it is.
4: I think we're running out of time here, Jeff, but if you're willing, um, love to have you back on for another podcast where I think we're going to dig into a little bit more on family businesses, right? You, you up for that?
2: I'm up for that. Let's make that happen.
4: Gentlemen, this has been
1: fascinating. I just... So much great information and so many things to think about. I'm incredibly excited to hear that Jeff is coming back. So Jeff, thank you for coming back to the next show. John and Michael, any closing thoughts for today?
4: As Jeff mentioned, if if you're out there listening, you have young kids, start them now. Or as he mentioned, if you're thinking about having kids, start talking about these, these money issues. If you have financial success or even if you don't have financial success, I think having these conversations, the earlier, the better can make a world of difference to your family down the road. I, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Michael, as you said, people are probably
1: listening to this and they have lots of questions. And I mean, there's so much to think about. If they want to reach out to Jeff, Jeff, how do they get a hold of you?
2: You can just uh, Google my name, Jeff Savlov, S-A-V as in Victor, L-O-V as in Victor. And Jeff Savlov, Family, Business, Wealth, we'll, we'll bring it up. You can go to the website, Blum and Savlov, which is B-L-U-M L U in Mary, a-N-D-S-A-V-L-O-V dot com. So it's BlumandSavloff dot com. And you can find sort of my blog. You can read more about some of these issues and uh, happy to chat.
1: Fantastic. Thank you again for being here. And the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wolf podcast with John and Michael Paris If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.
5: This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax legal or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.